Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at moms don't have time to read books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much to Audible for sponsoring today's episode. For those of you who don't know, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, business motivation, and also podcasts. They've recently launched their newest plan called Audible Plus. With Audible Plus, you get full access to their Plus catalog filled with thousands of select originals, audiobooks, and podcasts, and connects you to just amazing content. The best time to try it is now with their holiday offer, because for only $4.99, a month for your first six months. This is a fantastic deal. And all you have to do to get it is visit audible.com slash Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, or text Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, to 500-500. Again, visit audible.com slash Zibby or text Zibby to 500-500. I love Audible and listen all the time in my car and on walks. I recently finished searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, also Small Animals by Kim Brooks, His Only Wife by Peace 
Medi, and also On All Fronts by Clarissa Ward. So those are four of my recent ones. Um, I hope you'll join me in checking out Audible, audible.com slash Zibby, or text Zibby to 500-500. Did I say that enough times? Clarissa Ward is the author of On All Fronts, The Education of a Journalist. She is CNN's chief international correspondent. In her 15-year career spanning Fox, CBS, and ABC, Ward has reported from front lines across the world. She's received five Emmy Awards, two George Foster Peabody Awards, two Alfred DuPont Columbia University Awards, two Edward R. Murrow Awards for Distinguished Journalism, honors from the Radio and Television Correspondents Association, the 2016 David Kaplan Award from the Overseas Press Club, and the Excellence in International Reporting Award from the International Center for Journalists. She graduated with distinction from Yale University and in 2013 received an honorary Doctor of Letters degree from Middlebury College in Vermont. She currently lives in London. Welcome, Clarissa. Thank you so much for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books. Thank you so much for having me on. And how great we just made all these like personal connections that we should have known each other ahead of time, but we didn't. But anyway, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> now we're reading. Yeah. Now we. Now here we go. Okay. So on all fronts, your latest, your your memoir, not your latest, your memoir just came out and details your incredible experiences as this award-winning badass, basically journalist who I cannot believe how much you've accomplished since graduating after me from Yale. It's like (laughs) amazing and humbling and I'm just totally impressed. So can you please tell listeners what your book is about and then what inspired you to sit down and write the story of your life so far? So I mean, the book is really about my journey starting from my childhood. And it wasn't necessarily a childhood where it would have been an obvious trajectory for me to go on and become a a war correspondent. And then through 9-11, which for me was kind of an epiphany moment. I was studying comparative literature at Yale. I thought I wanted to be an actress. Suddenly my world was turned upside down and I became consumed by this idea that I wanted to go out there and understand how this had happened and why this had happened and what was at the root of it. And I really wanted to be at the tip of the spear. And yeah, then it sort of basically goes through my career because I think the problem is, you know, when you're watching the news, you're only getting half of the story. You're only seeing what's happening in front of the camera. You're not seeing what's happening behind the camera. You're not seeing these beautiful moments of human connection, moments of laughter, acts of kindness, acts of bravery and sacrifice. And and those are the moments, to be honest, that first of all, make this, I think, like the best job in the world. But they're also the moments that really shape the way you see and understand the world or a culture or a conflict. And so I kind of wanted to share that with a wider audience. I wanted people who are not, you know, slavishly following every development in Syria to be able to connect to people in Syria and, and see the conflict through their eyes and, and feel it, but do it in a way where it's kind of more approachable. It's like going on a journey with me to some of these really exciting and interesting and often difficult and dangerous places. I only really decided that I wanted to write a book when I got pregnant with my first son. And I was like, okay, I really need to have some kind of a record for him because I'm probably not going to tell him a lot of these stories at the dinner table, but I want him to know about these things and to know who I am other than being mom. I read your Glamour article just about this. It felt I work in some of the most dangerous places in the world. Motherhood hasn't changed that. And you talk obviously about having a newborn and a two-year-old and how it feels to like still be the one juggling the playdates while you're 
at war, you know, like on the battlefields, essentially still dealing with like playgroup. And at your point, of course, the article is much more complex than that, which is a lot of people have thought you're going to give it up now that you have two kids and, oh, you must be staying home now. And you're like, would a, would a man in the same position professionally be asked the same thing? So I just was hoping mm. you could talk about that because I thought it was yeah. such a, a powerful piece. Thank you. I mean, you know, it is, it's a really, it's a really tough one because on the, on the one hand, yeah, I get a little bit like, come on, I know so many dads doing this job and I know they're not being asked every five minutes if they're going to keep doing this work now that they're fathers. On the other hand, I do get it. I get why people ask that. And I do really take my security very seriously. And I take my responsibility for midwifing these two young souls into the world really seriously as well. So I think it's a fair question and I've given it a lot of thought. And really what I sort of come up with at the end of the day is, okay, there have to be boundaries and there have to be limits. There are certain assignments that I won't do if they're too dangerous. I will actively avoid being in a kind of really kinetic situation on a front line. I won't be away for longer than two weeks max, but ideally one week. And I do my due diligence for months to plan these trips to the best of my ability to be sure to mitigate every single risk. But I feel like it's important to have mothers covering war. I think we bring a different perspective to the table. I think that I have changed a lot since becoming a mother. I know I've become more emotionally porous. I feel like my heart is sort of out there beating in the wind, sensitive to every small act of suffering I see or a child or a woman who's pregnant or a mother making sacrifices for her children. I just feel acutely attuned to it and profoundly moved by it. And I hope that makes its way into my reporting. And I, 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 you know, maybe if there were more mothers covering war, we wouldn't have so many wars, which is not to say that I think all moms should leave their kids and head to the front line. Not at all. It's not for everyone. And we need to have a diversity of voices telling these stories. I guess that's my point. Moms don't have time to go to war. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Definitely not. So what do you think it was? And I know you spell out so much of this in the book and you take us all the way back to even like childhood babysitters and like all of it. But like, what do you think made you able to do this job so well? Like this isn't something that everybody could just hop into and excel at. Like I know I couldn't do it. I have too much fear and anxiety to even like, you know, fly to visit my grandmother right now. So like how, no, seriously, how do you, is it, is it bravery? Is it, like, tell me, no. what do you think it is? What is it? It's, it's definitely not bravery because I don't think I'm exceptionally brave. I'm able to stay calm in incredibly stressful situations, but on the inside, I'm a wreck and I get very scared. So it's not bravery. I think it's, I think it's a combination of things. Like if I'm being generous with myself, it's, you know, I was an only child. My parents were very busy with their careers always. And I had to be able to perform to get attention. And that meant learning to tell stories in a sort of compelling way. And it also meant learning to be really adaptable. I went to boarding school at the age of 10 years old and I had come from the US and it was miserable. I hated it, but I understood that I needed to, it was like a sink or swim situation. I needed to fit in. I needed to make friends. I needed to make it work. And I did. 
And that has allowed me that skill, I think, in my career to kind of go into any culture in any place in the world and form human connections with people and just sort of immerse myself. And as long as I have a working Wi-Fi connection and maybe air conditioning at a push, like I'm okay. I'll be okay. But I also think, yeah, there's a level of passion that you have to have because there is a lot of sacrifice that comes with a job like this, both in terms of your personal life and trying to make that work. And in terms of like the emotional toll that obviously this kind of work inevitably takes. So you really have to want it deep, deep, deep in your core. And I tell that all the time to young journalists who are like, what should I do this? And I'm like, if you're even asking yourself that question, it's not going to happen. Like you have to want this with every fiber of your being. You have to feel it's a vocation. Interesting. And tell me more about the 9-11 experience for you and how this became your calling. So, I mean, you know, I don't know what your experience was like at Yale, but like my experience at Yale was, I mean, it was tremendous. It was so thrilling in terms of, you know, the incredible education and, and campus life and, and all of it. We were making movies and starting magazines and, you know, enjoying French new wife cinema classes. And I had pink hair and lots of piercings and was indulging in all sorts of, you know, more superficial self-exploration, let's say. Then 9-11 happened and it was like a thunderbolt from the sky, right? It was like, oh my goodness, like this has been lovely, but let's face it, there is like some really important stuff happening in the world and it's been happening for a while and I haven't been engaged and I haven't been being attention and why do these people hate us so much and 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 what do they, what do they understand about America versus how America sees itself and how can they be engaged with and how can there be better communication? Because it, it felt to me on some level that this mutual process of dehumanization and miscommunication, that it was really fundamentally arising from this failure to understand each other. And keep in mind, you know, I'm 22. Okay, there's, no, there's a lot of idealism and hubris at work, but I became impassioned by this idea that I wanted to go and act as a communicator between worlds. And in the process of going to these places, take something of America with me to share with them, but also take their stories back to America. And I have subsequently realized that, you know, that's a hard job because not everybody wants to hear that. Some people think that listening or humanizing the other is tantamount to weakness. And so it's been a humbling journey in many ways, but also one that I'm profoundly grateful for. Wow. And you're so articulate. I, f- I love when you like pe- listening to people who speak in like complete paragraphs. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there are speech writers who would want to just like grab what you just said and throw it down on the page and claim it as their own. It's awesome. I have such appreciation Thank for you. language. Anyway, <laughs> so when you keep going from place to place, I know you've worked in Moscow and Syria and you've been everywhere, like Bin Laden, like you just, you like, you've like traversed the planet essentially. How do you, yeah. and I know, yes, okay, fine, only child and, you know, performance, but how do you literally land on your feet everywhere you go? How do you just pick up and immerse yourself in something totally new with, how do you do it? Yeah. So, I mean, what drew me to television rather than print is that television is a team sport and it's collaborative and you work with a cameraman and a producer and 
Um, that really, for me, is a hugely important part of what I do. And I thrive on that collaboration. And I really get a lot of energy from just joking around and, and, and hanging out. Because what people never tell you about covering war is like 99% of it is killing time and waiting for something big to happen. And then 1% of it is like totally mental and everything is going off and you're just trying to get as much done as you can. And then it's back to sitting around and, you know, waiting for a press conference, waiting for a ride to the front line, waiting, waiting, waiting is a huge theme. So you need to be with people in the field who make you laugh, who keep you grounded, who keep you sane, who look out for you, who feed you, who you feed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And, and that camaraderie is a huge part of it. And definitely that's what's allowed me to kind of parachute into all these crazy places and live in Beirut and Baghdad and Beijing and Moscow and all the places that I've lived because it is lonely. It is lonely. And, and definitely when I've been on my own on these trips and some of them I've had to do alone, you have moments where you witness something so beautiful or so profound or so sad or whatever it may be. And you're like, oh, it's, it's tinged with this real sense of, uh, of loneliness that you can't share it with other people in that moment, people who you love or people who you work with. So it is hard to be away from home for so long. And it is hard as, as successful as you can be at it, immersing yourself in other people's lives. They are other people's lives at the end of the day. And I think one of the most challenging parts of the job is trying to carve out your own real life. And what does that look like? And where is that? And who's a part of that? Because it's not possible really to do this forever, constantly being in other people's lives. Right. So when you come home and you have your husband, like, let's just say even before kids, like, how do you navigate going through intense, mm -hmm. I, you know, you would think you'd come back with PTSD like every week and then you come back and maybe like your girlfriend who we were talking about earlier, who we both know, like if, 
like how do you confront then a girlfriend who's just having like relationship problems when you've been yeah. watching like a man be carried in a casket like through the streets? Mm. How do you keep perspective and relate really to everybody else? So I think this is one of the biggest challenges of the job, to be honest, because you are straddling different worlds and and, and shuttling back and forth. It's like, you know, it's polar opposites. And how do you acclimatize? And I think there's a lot of guilt as well that comes with leaving the front lines of Aleppo and, you know, going to the south of France and sitting with my girlfriends around the pool drinking rosé. It's like, on what planet is this okay? (laughs) Okay. On what planet does this make any sense? Or is there any justice in this world? It's a lot. What you come to realize as you do the job longer, is that if you can't make that work, if you can't experience joy and allow yourself to have that joy and love and spiritual nourishment or physical decadence, pampering, whatever it is that you need to fill the tank when you're at home, you can't go back out and do the job again. You need to fill the tank. And once you understand that, you're able to navigate it a little bit better. There have been times, and you know, I talk about this in the book, where I would come back and I didn't feel like I wanted to be me anymore. I didn't feel in love with my life anymore. I would bristle when my husband would try to hug me. I would zone out when I would go out with girlfriends for dinner and catch up with them. They would ask me sincerely about Syria, and I would not be able to engage with them on it. And that is not a healthy state to be in. And so you do need to be proactive if you're doing this kind of work and you're witnessing this kind of trauma. You need to be proactive about your mental health. You need to be seeing a therapist. You need to start to recognize the telltale signs of when you're burning out a little bit or when you are getting too detached and too numb because it's a little counterintuitive. You see movies and you think, oh, they see something bad and then you feel sad. It's like, no, feeling sad would be great because that means I'm processing. There's catharsis in grief or sadness. There is not any catharsis in feeling numb, in feeling detached, in feeling irascible. And, and that's when you know that you really need to, to do some work to get back to a place where you can feel joy, where you can feel love, and where you can feel connection. You have a great therapist. If that's why, yeah. I mean, I need this person's number instantly. <laughs> I think I have a lot of people who could benefit from this information. <laughs> or you're just like super highly evolved and, and self-aware, which is also fantastic. <laughs> you know, it's a great, great combination. <laughs> Thank you. So tell me about the process of writing this book. Mm. When did you find the time to do this and how long did it take and all that? Yeah. So I wrote it on my maternity leave, you know, because masochism comes naturally to me. I was like, what should I do with this time I have off as a first time mother? And I was like, I know I'll write a book. And I started out the process for me was like, I'm going to write a thousand words a day. And then I quickly realized that didn't make sense for me because there would be days where I could write a thousand words, no problem. And there'd be other days where I would become too obsessive about this word count thing. And and it was impeding the flow, if you like. So then I shifted gears and I was like, okay, write as much as you want or as little as you want, but just sit down for two to three hours every day and write. And that's manageable, even when you have a baby. And I was lucky I had a maternity nurse and, and my parents were around a lot of my husband. So I had a lot of support 
but two to three hours was manageable. And what I think, you know, many people who write memoirs find is that when you're writing about your own experiences, it's a lot easier, right? It does flow. And especially when it comes from a place of truth, it's an amazing experience. You're just like, wow, all I'm doing right now is like typing out the words that are pouring out of me. That was the first draft. Then I went back to work. So the first draft was done in like three months. The second draft took almost a year because I was back at work. I was traveling a lot and it was much more difficult to find the time to really immerse myself again in it. And the second round seen this a lot of kind of flesh out a bit here, you know, what the situation was like in Syria. You know, it's more like the, you know, it's stuff I know, but it's like more the research, the kind of, let me tell you in three paragraphs, like the history of Syria part. And uh, so that requires a bit more kind of discipline, I would say. And that was, that was harder. The first round flowed, the second round was like work. (laughs) Do you feel like now that you've had all this exposure and research and writing about it, you have like intense political views? Like, does it, does it shift how you feel about like international relations and all of that on like a bigger picture scale? It's interesting you ask that. I think not so much about political issues. I mean, I'm pretty passionate about Syria and I have pretty strong views on that. And obviously I like testified at the United Nations Security Council, which is, you know, kind of on the edge of like, are you a journalist or an activist? So I've definitely entered that hazy space, let's say. But for the most part, I think what writing did actually was to give me more courage of my convictions in terms of what makes a great journalist, what makes a great story, and what these sort of human moments of connection. I know I keep coming back to that, but like it made me understand better why I do this and what it's all about for me. And, and the privilege that comes, not just with witnessing history, which I have had the fortune of doing on occasion, but of making profound connections with people who live a hundred thousand miles away in every metaphorical sense of that, you know? And so then how did you deal with COVID? How did you like, when the brakes slammed on your life, how did you cope? Was how was well, it being back? So I was heavily pregnant. So basically everyone was on lockdown with me. I was already on lockdown, but listen, it was really challenging because it's the first war I've covered from my living room. And I think it's very tough story to cover in terms of the way I like to cover stories, which is usually with more of a human angle. And so you have to rely a lot on technology and getting people to do video diaries. And, and it's, it's hard. I definitely learned a lot and I'm still thinking now I'm on maternity leave. It also meant that my book release was delayed by six months. That's right. I and yeah. So, which was a blessing in some ways, because I don't think I realized quite how much work releasing a book is. It turns out it's basically a full-time job. <laughs> like, we're calling this a maternity leave. But basically, it's a full-time job. It's a really fun full-time job because you're out there talking about something that you feel passionate and excited about. But yeah, I'm definitely thinking now of like, okay, I'll be going back to work. I'll probably go back after the election. I have no idea what the world's going to look like, both in terms of the election and in terms of COVID. And what kinds of stories are people going to want to hear? This is one of these things, COVID, much like 9-11, it's like a, it's a bolt from the sky again that's going to profoundly change the way we live and function as a society in ways that we don't really yet understand. We haven't quite got our arms around it. So 
it's going to be tremendously interesting, but it's definitely going to be challenging as well. Yes, I would agree with that. (laughs) Would you ever now, knowing how much work is involved in the whole thing, would you ever write another book? Or are you like, this I, is great and, you know, I'm down. You know, I prepared. haven't started therapy for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yes. I At some point, I would like to write a book, another book, but not for a while. <laughs> not for a while. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you find time to read yourself? I really wish that I had more. I used to be a voracious reader of novels and, you know, I was like a compliment major and that's really what I loved. What language, which two languages did you? I did French, Italian, and Russian, but Russian, my Russian wasn't good enough. So I was reading it in translation, but as you know, I mean, hence the name of the podcast, having kids is like, wow, when do you find time? You know, I have this beautiful stack of books by my bedside and then I get into bed and like my husband's reading Netflix and I'm sort of making sure that I haven't like missed 50 Zoom calls or whatever. And I get the book out and it's like, and then, you know, before I know it, I'm like, you know, (laughs) so it's like, it's really hard. I'm not going to pretend it's not. One way that I get to read books is that people ask me a lot to write blurbs for their books. So that's great because then you really have to read the book, right? And so I, I do try to read, but man, I really wish I had more time and that I could read more. And that's why I think it's so awesome what you're doing because, you know, we do need to carve out more time and, and find these little moments to, to read. And it's such a, it's such an important thing that we've, I think social media and everything is, we've all gotten a little bit distracted. Well, I hope like by doing the show that I entice people to read because once they hear somebody's story like yours, they're like, oh my gosh, I have to hear more. I want to read the whole thing. So that's my goal. <laughs> kind of wet the appetite, like having movie trailers. Yes. This is like the book trailer <laughs> channel yes. or something. No, and believe me, authors are so grateful to you for that. And your sincerity and your curiosity and enthusiasm is just really, really awesome. Oh, thanks. I know. I feel like a child. I really do get like so excited, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I do, but it's really awesome. And how great to like, you know, my kids just went to school and now they're only in school in real life for the mornings, my little guys at least. So they come home after three and a half hours. And my daughter was just at lunch and she was like, wow, I feel like I didn't even leave. And I was like, yeah, I feel like that too, except that I had three podcasts this morning and I met the most interesting women ever. And I talked to somebody in Florence and I talked to somebody in Chicago and I talked to somebody, you know, it's just like, how else would I ever meet all these interesting people? So I, I feel very lucky. That's kind of like my job though. You know, I feel the same way. And I think that's how you know when you're onto a good thing, right? It's not about whatever the trappings of success might look. It's about that kind of, wow, I'm really excited. I'm learning. I'm meeting interesting people. I'm seeing different ideas. And that is, that's the thrill of it. That's the excitement. And then like, once you're in it, more ideas and more things happen, you know, like, as opposed to when I was home with my twins who are now 13, like when they were little and every day was like a thousand hours long. And I was just like, I can't even think of a single essay to write right now. You know, I'm so burnt out. I'm just like, now it's like, you know, you throw one thing like with you, I'm sure like you just throw one more thing in the fire and you're already going at warp speed. So, oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's long, long days, short years. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, it was so great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. And thanks for for sharing your journey with everybody. And yeah, I'll look for you eventually on TV. Yes. Whatever. Or in person, hopefully, if if things ever, if we ever find it. It would be great. It would be even better. (laughs) (laughs) It would be awesome. Yes. All right. So I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully I'll see you soon. 
Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Larissa. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for Audible sponsoring this episode. Get your amazing deal for $4.95 for six months, for your first six months for their holiday Audible Plus offer. Go to audible.com slash Zibby or text Zibby to 500-500. Thanks, Audible. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.